If you have your Bibles, we are in Luke chapter 23, continuing our journey of investigating the life uh, of Jesus there. I had something interesting happen to me just a few weeks ago. I don't know if you've experienced this or, or ever had this happen. It's a little bit embarrassing. My, uh, my wife and I, we went out to eat and uh, out with some friends and stuff like that, and I went up to the counter to go ahead and, and pay, right, because they, they fed me well and I wanted to go pay my bill. And when I went to pay my bill, I handed in my plastic card that everybody has in their wallet, and the lady ran my card and she looked at me and said, those fearful, fearful words is declined. I said, oh, there's something wrong. It didn't go through. Put it through again, please, if you would. And she came back and said, it's declined. And uh, uh, I didn't know what to say. And I said, I know there's money there, or I thought there was money there. And all of a sudden, one of my friends behind me says, oh, don't worry about it. Let me take care of it. And he paid my bill. For me, wouldn't let me pull out another card or anything else. He took care of it and paid my bill, and I was so thankful for that. I told him I would pay him back. He said, "No, I'm so glad to do it," and and took care of that and paid that debt where I was in trouble. I thought for sure I was going to have to wash dishes, and I'm no good at washing dishes. Uh, I, even if there's a machine, I'm no good at doing that, right? So, uh, but they paid for me in that. I want you to think about that as we walk through what God has for us. Uh, today. Uh, we, Jesus has endured all the physical torment one person could ever endure. He now hangs on a criminal's cross. It's about nine o'clock in the morning. He has uh, endured uh, pain that is indescribable. The exhaustion is unbearable. The torment is unending. Every tick of the clock moves him closer and closer to death. However, with all of this, and I feel like I've said this every step of the way, but truly, this is absolutely true, we are at the greatest point of turmoil and, and torment that Jesus is going to endure on the cross, listen now, for our salvation. Please never forget that Jesus wasn't supposed to be there, we were. He took our place. Jesus was nailed upon the cross. It was probably about 9 o'clock in the morning that they nailed him to the cross. Luke tells us now in our text, in our narrative, that is the sixth hour, which is actually noon uh, for us. Jesus has been on the cross for about three hours. The sun is at its highest peak of the day, the brightest it is. And then all of a sudden, as he hung on that cross, as he was pulling up on the spikes in order to breathe and, and, and pushing up on the spikes in order to breathe, everything changes in that moment and we see here that Luke tells us in verse number 44 that it was now about the sixth hour like I said is noon according to our clock here they did time a little different back then and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour while the sunlight failed now I want you to think about that word the sun's light failed this wasn't just cloud cover. This wasn't that a cloud moved in front of the sun or that it got really cloudy out and, and it was just like a, a cloudy day. This was absolute darkness. This was spiritual darkness. This darkness was not just local in Jerusalem. The, uh, Luke tells us it covered all of the land. It covered all of the inhabited land of the earth. The, the, the day got completely 
dark. And it was as dark as night. It wasn't just dark, you know, in the middle of the day when the clouds covered. It was as dark as night. I remember so vividly living up in North Dakota and helping a farmer out at 2 o'clock in the morning. You could not see your hand in front of your face. It was so dark. That's the type of darkness that was happening here on the earth. It was noticeable and everyone knew it. And so this great darkness took over and it was a spiritual darkness that took place because heaven was mourning and hell was raging. And Luke just quickly moves now in this, in this scene, pointing out the darkness and moves to Jesus' last words on the cross. But it's very important for us to note that Matthew and Mark give us another saying that Jesus says here that's very vital for us to understand what's taking place uh, in this moment. So we'll use Matthew's account. And he says in Matthew 27, 46, he says, and about the ninth hour, so after this three hours of darkness, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? It is at this point that Jesus endures his greatest suffering as God the Father forsakes the Son. The definition for forsake could be indescribable abandonment. In other words, the Father abandoned the Son so that the Son would bear the total weight of God's wrath for our sin. In essence, God turned his back on him. But here's the question. How in the world can the Father abandon the Son? We know that God is a trinity. And we know that the trinity is impossible to separate. And so technically, we, we, we're like, how does that work? And, and how in the world can a loving Father abandon his Son? Well, the point is, is that the Father never left Jesus. He was always present. The, prob- the, 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 the major situation here is that the Father, listen now, took away all of his loving attributes so that Jesus could experience the total judgment and wrath of a perfect, holy God. So God never left. But the reality is is that God's grace, God's mercy, God's love, God's tenderness, God's kindness, God's goodness was taken away from Jesus so that he would endure the total just and righteous wrath of Almighty God upon him. God's wrath was present, but not his love. So it was in this moment that Jesus bears the complete penalty, not of his sins, but of ours. Bearing our sins on his body. And it is at this point, it is after he bears this, after the Father has forsaken him, that he is physically and spiritually completely drained. And then Luke tells us that... uh, the last words that, that Jesus says in verse 46, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Jesus had spoken his last words. Now John in his gospel tells us there were three more words that Jesus said, it is finished. He had fulfilled all that God had required of him to bear our sins, to pay the price for our sins. And now instantly Luke uh, switches gears here and he goes and he focuses on those who are around the, the cross there. We have seen Jesus now um, give the last breath, give up the ghost if you will. He, he died there on the cross. It is finished. And Luke immediately, if he had a camera, he would, he would be on the cross and he would pan over to the crowd. And he shows us three radical, if you will, uh, 
I lost the word. It was right there. You ever do that? No one's ever done that before, right? Reactions. That's the word. Great re- Thanks for laughing. That was a great reaction to remind me of reactions. If you stay for the second service, that mistake won't be in there for you, just so you know. Okay. All right. And Luke begins with the Roman centurion. In verse 47, he looks at it and he says, Now when the centurion saw that he had taken, this had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. The Roman centurion, this is the guard that was from the beginning to the end. He was over everything that happened on the Calvary Mount. He was over all the soldiers. He was there for the scourging. He was there for all of it. And he, and he gets all the way down with this, sees Jesus' reaction and what he says, and he proclaims that Jesus was an innocent man. He realized that this man did not deserve to be crucified. Luke give us, gives us a little bit more insight on this, and Luke says that the centurion actually said, truly this is the Son of God. Now, a better translation would be that he was a son of the gods, because they were polytheistic uh, there. The point being is these were not statements of salvation, but it was the idea that Jesus was much more than, than just um, a criminal on the cross. He was innocent. He was who he claimed he was. The centurion didn't make a salvation statement here, but what he did do is his heart was now open to the possibilities of it. And the same is true with the crowd. It's so interesting here. In verse 48, he says, And all the crowds that had assembled uh, for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home, beating their breasts, beating their chests. Woe is me. Remember, it was the religious leaders who got the people incited, right? They got the people all charged up to say, crucify him. They got kind of pulled into this, this thing that was taking place. And now after they were there, standing there and listening to the mocking and, and cheering, and some may have participated in it. But once they heard Jesus' words and they saw Jesus die on the cross, they walked away realizing, man, this was, this was a mess. This wasn't right. We shouldn't have participated in this. We were, we were wrong. And then the third group that Luke chose us is Jesus' followers who were there at the cross. In verse 49, it says, And all the acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. Now, we know it was only the Apostle John who went to the cross. He was the only disciple that was there. The, the rest were, were women and other disciples that were there with him. And all that Luke tells us here is that they watched in other words, they stood in awe and in shock because they couldn't believe that their Messiah had been killed. Have you ever been in, this, in a tough situation and it ends and it doesn't end the way that you want it to end and it just overwhelms you? This is where they were. They're like, it was almost like until he actually breathed his last, they had a little bit of hope. Something was going was gonna to happen, but now he had breathed his last, he, he had died, and they knew he was dead. Jesus' physical torment and spiritual torment are now done. But I want to re-examine everything that Jesus went through just just for a second here in light of us. You see, it has been an overwhelming journey from the first trial to Jesus' death. And we understand that Jesus went through a lot to pay for our salvation. But I wonder... As I thought about this this week and the Lord laid on my heart this message, I wonder, do we really understand the totality of what Jesus went through? Do we really understand what Jesus actually did for us in these? As a matter of fact, I want to parallel six things from the cross to a place. I'll give that to you in a moment. But I want you to think about this. 
Have you ever heard the phrase, he went through hell? Have you ever heard that? Or she's going through hell? Heard that? It's a metaphor that we use, talking about going through a real difficult situation, a real hard time. Uh, now, it doesn't mean that a person literally goes through hell. We recognize that. We, re- we just recognize they're going through a hard time. But can I submit to you today that I think Jesus literally went through hell for us? And that's what I want to give you these six parallels to. Six things that we see here that give us the clearest revelation of hell as seen through Christ's cross. And if you can write them down, jot them down, I'd really like you to do that. I'm just going to give you the titles. They'll be on the screen for you. The first one is this that Jesus endured. Jesus endured conscious suffering. Conscious suffering. Jesus experienced great physical suffering. As we walk through this, we've looked for weeks at the suffering that Jesus endured. But I want you to understand that it was conscious suffering. There was never a time that Jesus was beaten or hit or whipped that he lost consciousness. Because if he would have lost consciousness, he would have had a reprieve from the pain. Do you understand that? If he would have lost consciousness, he would have had a reprieve from what he was going through. He had no reprieve. Every slap, every punch, every whip, every thorn every hit with the reed the nails and the weight of his body hanging on the cross he felt every bit of it felt it continually from the time he was in uh, went through the trial all the way through he consciously felt the torment of what he went through now listen the bible is very clear especially in the story that jesus told us about lazarus and the rich man that in hell those who are in hell will consciously remember their life and will consciously experience the torment of hell there will be physical pain in hell the bible says and in hell you will consciously know this you will not have a reprieve one reprieve from the conscious torment of hell the second thing that jesus endured was the blackest darkness as we know for three hours there was spiritual darkness over the land And although it was manifested physically, everybody saw that it had gotten dark, there was also a spiritual aspect to the spiritual darkness that was taking place there in Jesus as well. It was the complete absence of light, or in reality, it was the complete absence of the light of God. When when God forsook Jesus, the, the glory, if you will, of God was taken away, and only the wrath and punishment was given. And the Bible tells us that there is no light in hell. The only light source that we have in heaven, the Bible tells us, that for those who are saved, is the glory of God. There will be no sun, for the, for the, sun, will, the, the sun of God, will, His glory will shine, and heaven will be illumined by that. But in hell, there is no glory of God. In hell, there is no light. In hell, there is no brightness. There is only darkness. There is only torment. The third thing that Jesus endured was that He was surrounded by demonic powers. In that darkness, all of hell was raging and there were demonic powers around uh, him during that time. We're not given any information on what the demons were allowed to do. We're not given any information about what was taking place. But we can question and we might be able to surmise, were they allowed to torment Jesus during that time? Were the demonic beings able to do so. And I say to you that I believe it's very possible and maybe highly probable. The reason why I say that to you is that if you study the book of Revelation, you know that part of God's wrath on man is allowing Satan and his demons freedom to do whatever they want to do. 
And I believe that that was what happened with Jesus and what he dealt with in the spiritual realm as he was hanging between heaven uh, and earth, as he hung on that cross. But you say, well, how is that going to apply to a person that's in hell? Well, here's the reality. Hell is designed for Satan and his demons. And while they will be there, they will be punished for all that they have done. However, even in that punishment, the one thing that will not dissipate is their, is their hatred. As a matter of fact, hatred will be the number one emotion in hell. And I believe that even though they will be tormented, they will also be able to torment in hell. The fourth thing that Jesus did, and this is key for us, is Jesus was bearing sin. Not his sin. He bore our sin. He took our sin upon him which caused the Father to turn from him and exact his righteous judgment upon him. And the fact of the matter is, is that anyone who goes into the afterlife, anyone who dies without getting their sins taken care of through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, they themselves will bear their own sin. The reason why if we die without Jesus Christ, we go to hell is because we have to go to a place where we pay for our sins ourselves. You see, Jesus has taken our sins upon him. Jesus has died in our place. Jesus has taken those sins and bore the wrath of God in our place. And he's already made a way that we don't have to go there. But if we will not receive what Jesus has done, then we will go and we will bear that in our lives. The person that is in hell is there because they rejected Christ's offer of salvation. Therefore, they themselves must pay and make atonement for their own sin. The fifth thing is that Jesus was under judgment. We've already mentioned this, but the, the perfect righteous judgment of God was upon Jesus for our sins. God will release his perfect righteous judgment on sinful men. Listen to me very carefully. God's, God's punishment is righteous. God's punishment is just. And I want you to understand how just and how righteous it is. There will be not one person in hell saying this is not fair. There will be not one person in hell saying, God, I don't deserve this. But there will be everyone in hell who will be going through what they're going through, going, this is exactly what I deserved because this is what my sin produced in me. This is where I belong. Now, they won't want to be there. They'll hate God that they're there. But listen, if you don't allow Jesus to take care of your sins, you will be under the righteous judgment of God in hell. And the sixth thing that Jesus separated, the most uh, horrible thing that Jesus separated, the most horrible thing that a person in hell uh, deals with is he was separated from God's love. Completely separated from God's love. The point where Jesus felt the greatest judgment and the greatest remorse was in God's abandonment. And just like with Jesus, God is the ruler of hell. Did you know that? God is the ruler of hell, not Satan. Satan is not the ruler of hell. Satan is the chief public enemy number one in hell. He is the biggest prisoner of hell. God is the ruler of hell, and it's only his righteous judgment that is poured out on sinful man that rules hell, period. There is no love, there is no mercy, there is no grace, there is no compassion, there is no tenderness, there is no goodness, there is no love of God at all. Simply God's payment, torment for our 
sin. Pastor Colin Smith of Orchard Evangelical Free Church in the suburbs of Chicago made this statement, and it's, it's good. He says, hell is conscious suffering in blackest darkness, surrounded by demonic powers. It is bearing the guilt of your sin and coming under the righteous judgment of God. Listen now. But the hell of hell for the sinner will be to know that there is a God of love and that he or she could have known this love, but that now it's beyond their reach. You know, there have been some preachers come out over the past several years trying to say that those in hell will eventually get, make their way to heaven. I'm sorry, that is not what the Bible says. The person that goes to hell is there for eternity. Once you are there, the door is locked, the key is gone, you are cast out into eternal punishment. This is what Jesus went through. This is what Jesus endured. Can I say that Jesus literally took hell so that we don't have to? Why? Well, he did this to bring us hope. There's one verse that I skipped over on purpose that I wanted to bring to your attention now. And it's the last part of verse 45. And it said this, in the midst of all of this that was going on, it says, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Now other gospels tell us that this very thick curtain, several feet thick, was, behind, was between the Holy of Holies and the holy place. The Holy of Holies was the only place that the uh, high priest could go once a year to atone for the sins of Israel. It is where the glory of God was. And as a result of Jesus going to hell for us, he broke and tore that curtain. What does that mean? That means now that every single one of us now has access to the Father. We can go to the Father through Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is why salvation is centered only on what Jesus did for us. This is why Jesus is the only way, because he is the one who paid the price for us so that we don't have to. So that we can have salvation. We are the ones, remember, we are the ones that have sinned. We are the ones that have turned our back upon God. We are the ones that have shook our fist in the face of God because of our rebellion. And God says, it doesn't matter, I love you, I sent my son, and my son endured hell so that you don't have to. That's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jesus took your place. He took mine. That cross was designed for me. I should have been there. But Jesus said, no, I'll go. I'll fulfill the will of the Father. You know what amazes me as I thought about this, the Apostle Paul in, in Romans chapter 9 makes this confession. He says, I wish I could go to hell so that all of Israel could be saved. Did you know that Jesus literally went to hell so the world could be saved? He took our place. He paid our price. And now he says, all I want is a relationship with you. The price has been paid. 
You have been redeemed through the blood of Jesus Christ if you will receive it. The curtain has been torn. The way to the Father is available for those who will ask forgiveness of the rebellious sin of their heart, which we all have, will put their faith and trust in what Jesus has done on the cross for you. And simply by faith said, Lord, come and be Lord of my life. God always says yes. Yes. God is the one, listen to me very carefully, God is the one who wants that even more than you do. We have a mentality in our world today that God is just so mean and rough and bad. And No, God has a love that is outrageous. And this is the demonstration of His love for us so that you can have this relationship with the Father. And it is the only way. Listen, it's the only way. Church membership doesn't get you there. Baptism doesn't get you there. Communion doesn't get you there. Nothing else gets you there except Jesus. It's only Jesus. Now here's the thing, church. Many of you in here today have said, I've already received And praise God you have. And this should be an encouragement to you and an amazing thought of what Jesus actually did for you. But can I ask you this question? How many of us that have received are squandering it on not giving it to people who haven't? I always go back to this, but I think it's so very true. If you had the cure to cancer, you couldn't shut you up. We couldn't. But church, we have the cure for the soul. We will live eternally. The destination is the only thing that we need to worry about. And if you do not accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, if you do not accept the way that Jesus has given to you, that God has prepared for you, then you will go through hell. Now, this is going to sound really, really harsh, but are you ready? And you'll have nobody to blame but yourself. But church, let me ask you, who do you know? Who do you know that doesn't know Jesus? What family member do you know? What friend do you know? What acquaintance do you know? What co-worker do you know? You see, God has you placed where you are specifically so that you are in contact with the people that you are in contact so that you are able to show them this love of God. It's not an accident. It's not an accident. Jesus endured hell for everyone. Last slide this morning. Do not allow anyone to endure hell. That includes you because Jesus already has. Will you stand with me in God's house today? Father God, your love is just remarkable and outrageous. There's not one of us in this building today, not one of us on the world that, uh, in this world that deserve what you have done for us. So thank you is not enough. Oh, but God, this was your plan and your design and you did this for us. Father, I pray if there's one person here today that would say, you know, I've not accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I pray right now, all they have to do is just repent, ask forgiveness of their sin. 
put their faith and trust in you and ask you to be Lord of their life, Lord, and you'll say yes. Father, now that we recognize what you've done for us and what salvation really entails, oh God, would you burn in us a fire to go to this community, to take this outrageous love to them, to our families and to our friends and to our loved ones, even to our enemies, Lord, so they might know you. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.